Welcome to Periop Talk, the perioperative specific podcast where we discuss how to make surgery safer one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors to interviews with OR nurses just like you, our goal is to always share practical information for you to take back to your OR. I'm Vanjie Dennis, president of AORN. Thank you all for joining us in the President's Corner. Today, we're going to have a conversation about some of the ethical conflicts perioperative nurses faced in their jobs and some of the practical tips you can use to approach these problems more effectively. I'm joined here today by Jason Lazandrini, who is the Assistant Vice President of Ethics, Advanced Care Planning, and Spiritual Health for Wellstar Health System located in metropolitan Atlanta, Georgia. Jason also is a founder and principal of Ethics Architect, which provides consultation to health systems and ethic initiatives. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Angie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I kind of want to start out uh, because, as you well know, I called I called it my last podcast. Uh, COVID is a great revealer, and it reveals all kinds of things about ourselves that we think we know about, but all of a sudden have come to fruition in getting creative, but not without some type of detriment to how we practice every day. Nurses have always been confronted with ethical challenges with patient care. Tell me, what stands out to you among perioperative nurses And are there any ethical issues that COVID-19 has highlighted for our nursing staff? Yeah, I mean, Vanjie, such a great question. And we could spend the whole podcast sort of talking through this and and lots and lots of things to think through here. I I think a couple things that are worth sort of thinking through with perioperative nurses that we we see regularly that they confront are issues around consent. You know, what, what did consent look like with that patient? Does this patient really understand are they doing this voluntarily? You know, how, what does that really mean? And then um, who's making decisions for these patients? You know, so often had calls from perioperative nurses. Oh, I, I've got this brother who signed this consent form, but I know this patient's married. You know, is it, is it supposed to be the wife or who's it supposed to be? And should we, you know, should this procedure go forward? You know, I think to your point, COVID made these things even more challenging because uh, people weren't in hospitals. You know, we didn't, we didn't have people in the waiting rooms that you could just walk out to and say, okay, okay, so who, who really is the decision maker? Now you're calling at home and you'd be lucky if you might be able to find somebody at home waiting uh, to, to try and locate someone. But I think the other thing that I find really interesting around perioperative nurses that were particularly highlighted during COVID is that they often get left without resources to address these issues that perioperative nurses never really access resources to sort of tackle ethical problems that they may confront. Um, When I look at the literature and the things that are going on in the field, I don't see perioperative rising to the top of the spaces where, uh, of of sites who are calling ethics consultations or ethics committees frequently. Yeah, I I think uh, some of the great examples is when we find out we have a patient uh, with COVID and we treat them and we do all the proper protocol and PEE. And then lo and behold, they get transferred to um, our post-op care area 
our area where you know they're going to get admitted and we can't even bring the families in to take care of that. And that goes beyond the grain of what we are with perioperative nursing and that full sequence of care of our patient. We feel ethically we should be including the family in doing everything and you really can't at times. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah, I, I do remember uh, when I was at Wellstar that we, one of the biggest things that we looked at is those ethics that we struggled with as nurses. And remember the uh, no patient dies alone and how we worked around that. It, that was very, very difficult because you, you want to do the right nursing care and not overexpose, but you want to take care of the heart of the patient too. Yeah. So. You, you see this too, Benji, with uh, donation after circulatory death. And this can be an ethical tension sometimes for perioperative nurses where patients' family members have made a decision to uh, stop life-sustaining intervention. And then there's a separate decision that is made for organ donation. And then the patient comes down to the OR, right? And there's a, a process that takes place where the patient is taken off of life-sustaining intervention in the OR. And, and there's often, um, you know, sometimes some organizations will allow the family into the perioperative area. Some I've even seen allow them into the, you know, as far into the OR. And there's this sort of emotional connection that you know the nurses make with them and you want to live up to your you know to the obligation to the patient but you also want to maintain safety and, and there's so many things that go into it and so you see these connections happening on a daily basis no doubt about it it's a definitely push pull with us because yep. we're not just strictly clinical you know we we are hardwired to be that caregiver that caretaker and with that becomes uh, patient-centered focus with the, with the family being very much part of their care. Um, that kind of brings me to think of a broader question. What are the types of ethical issues nursing leaders are facing? And is there anything we can do about improving uh, their response to them? Because I know we talk about the first responder, which is our, our staff nurse, but we are also as leaders going through some of these ethical issues ourselves in hopes that we make the right decision. Yeah, it, it's it's such a great point. I, I, I've been doing some work in this space around leadership over the last few years. And Banji, you know, uh, we've done some work together when you were at Atlanta Medical Center together on this. You know, and in particular, what issues do nurse leaders confront? And they, they actually confront way more than we ever thought of, right? Um, and COVID has really highlighted this. And I think uh, there are some unique things that COVID has brought to light, especially things around... Uh, staffing issues happening around the countries and how nurse leaders are constructing assignments, but how they're thinking about safety and quality um, and how those play into the equation, right? The challenge is we, we actually haven't really prepared nurse leaders to think through how to be ethical leaders, right? And as our work here in, 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 at Atlanta Medical Center and some of the other work I've done with other organizations, we, we need to think through how do we train our leaders to be ethical leaders so that they can respond to those situations, right? There are certain behaviors and characteristics that, that ethical leaders have, uh, but we also have to train them on a regular basis to, to exhibit certain muscles, right? Certain behaviors that they have, like expressing ethics as a priority, communicating clear expectations for ethical practice, practicing ethical decision-making, using the right incentives and supporting the ethics programs. The problem is, is that's hard. It takes a lot of work. Um, and we're already demanding a lot of you already, Banshee, right? Or mm -hmm. and leaders out there. So, but I know that, you know, nurse leaders are committed to this. They're there for their patients. They're there for their teams and, and they want to do it. And I think 
if we commit time to growing ethical leaders, I think we'll see the payoffs in ethical culture and staff retention and all the things that we want to see with our nurses, the bedside staff, but also with our organization. Yeah, I, I see um, the focus, but I loved what you just touched on. It's not just the patient. We have to be ethical leaders with our staff, especially yeah. today. So uh, thank you for that, for expanding on that. Now begun to hear a lot about moral distress. You know, we hear burnout, but I'm hearing more about moral distress and perioperative nurses and nurses in general. Can you tell me how moral distress is affecting our nursing profession? Oh, <laughs> again, another, another topic for a, a, a full day's work. Um, I imagine all of your listeners have, have felt it, heard it, and uh, have known a few colleagues probably who have maybe left the profession as a result of it. You know, a friend of mine, uh, Georgia Morley at Cleveland Clinic, I think has probably captured what I think is the best definition of this phenomenon. And she, she says, you know, moral distress is the combination of a couple things. It's the experience of a moral event, the experience of psychological distress, and, and sort of a direct correlation between those two things. You know, when you think about what are the types of moral events you can have, you know, you can have uh, a tension, a, a conflict between values, a tension, an uncertainty about a principle, whatever it may be. So, you know, thinking about, you know, a perfect example that I've seen across countries where we, we have policies where patients who are DNR come down to o ORs and their DR, DNR orders get flipped automatically. And this is actually true, Vanjie. We, we've been, I've been hearing a lot more of this across the country. And there have been a lot of nurses who have been speaking up about this. That's not the patient's preference. Did anybody talk to the patient about this? And they say, they're going to be in the OR. We're going to do the procedure. And there's this tension about, but I have an obligation to respect my patient's preference, right? To respect what my patient wants. So we feel a moral event. There's a moral event that just happened there. There's psychological distress, right? And those two are connected. And that's that's moral distress that's now just happened for that nurse. Without abatement of that distress, that will continue on. And the continuum and building, right, of that distress can lead to moral burnout. We're not exactly sure how to fix this problem. I mean, there are lots of things going on across the country. I, done my own work about using uh, narrative writing to think through it, reflecting, some debriefing exercises. There's lots of things I think that I, I would say trained people in ethics could do to help perioperative nurses or nurses at large do this, but needs to be addressed is what I would largely uh, tell the audience. Here's one, one, and I don't know whether this would be classified as moral distress. I knew I would be in moral distress if I was put in that situation. And when I see an example of my post-anesthesia care unit, my PACU nurses, mm -hmm. and we know that the standards for CMS are a two-to-one ratio for care. And then all of a sudden during COVID, I'm telling them they got to take care of six and seven patients, which is a huge conflict for my staff. Um, and, and you can see the stress level where even throwing the incentive pay uh, did not make them want to come in and do that. They did not want to be put in that situation. It was very stressful. And then, lo and behold, we saw them go to traveling. Angie, that is a perfect example. It's actually a well-cited example in the literature about increasing uh, patient load on nurses, 
right? So on a med surge floor, where normally you might have a responsibility, I'm, I'm making this up, I'm not a nurse, you know that about me, right? So your normal responsibility might be six to eight. Um, Johnny calls out today. Now you have to, we have to spread those six to eight out. So you get three more. Now you're taking nine and you're now uncertain that you're not going to be able to turn all of your patients every two hours. So you, you, you either choose to turn all of your patients every two hours or you do meds. You pass meds. So what do you pick? You pick to pass the meds because you think that's better. You feel you have a moral event. You, you don't feel like you, you had a dilemma. And so you have the dilemma, you have the moral event, you have the distress and you fought, felt it. It's the exact same thing. And we saw it rampant across with COVID. We saw it in PPE. We saw it with exactly as caseloads, with quality, with safety. It just, it was all over the place with COVID and we're still feeling it. It's this uh, residual effect that's happening now across all spectrums in nursing. It's being left and we're not, kind of not sure what, to do. Exactly. I mean, we're still seeing it, even though we're not in surge with this uh, level of COVID that we have now, I'm still extremely short-staffed. And I still have, uh, have goals and data and volume and everything that I've got to do and take care of these patients. But the staffing um, model right now does not meet what we're used to. And it's uh, creating a lot of distress within our, um, our clinical people, very much so. Now, the next question is, are there any specific steps for our listeners that can, they can do when confronted with these challenges, but whether it's a staff nurse or a leader in our facility? I would say at least three. So the first thing I would say is that perioperative nurses, nurse leaders, nurses across any organization should access ethics resources within their organization. And when I'm talking about ethics resources, I'm not talking about ethics and compliance. I'm not talking about calling the compliance line. I'm talking about ethics consultation services that respond to resolve conflicts or uncertainties. So when that patient comes down to the OR or when you have uh, uncertainties or conflicts about values that come up about a decision maker, or whoever it may be, you reach out to a resource that can help you resolve that issue. I think we also need to ensure, and nurses should, to be honest, should demand that the people who are doing this work have the requisite training and education. A nurse would never allow me in the OR to perform a surgery. No nurse should ever allow me in the OR to ever perform a surgery unless I, I have the appropriate training and knowledge. I don't. The same should probably be true for calling other experts like ethics. So we should ask the same for people who are doing ethics consultation. In this country, Banji, most people who are doing ethics consultation have almost no training doing it. They're volunteer folks who sit on a committee who maybe have sat for a couple hours of ethics education. That is a disservice to our patients and it's a disservice to our staff. Second, nurses should not allow moral distress to go unresolved. High-functioning ethics resources can have programs that can work with nurses on moral distress but most systems don't have these resources. Now, someone is always gonna to say to me, it costs money to invest resource. And that's true, but there are benefits to having these resources for a lot of organizations, right? But I think we can say at a minimum, there are internal resources that nurses can reach out to uh, that can help them to begin to work through these, these sort of challenges they're facing. 
even if it doesn't solve the problem, there's the internal sort of counseling services that are often provided in organizations. There's now wellness services that are often being stood up at organizations. But I think that oftentimes we require uh, resolving moral distress through a moral mechanism, which is oftentimes uh, expert ethics mechanism. The last thing I would say, it behooves a nurse to ensure at a minimum that he or she has thought through how they would resolve a dilemma if they were confronted with it, so that they are prepared mentally to actually uh, sort of approach the problem. Not to say, oh, I'm gonna fix every problem for everybody in the hospital, I'm gonna run around and resolve all these problems for the whole health system or wherever they may work, but at least they can be morally aware to the situation that may arise. So what I would ask the audience to do is to think through an ethical framework or an approach that they can take to addressing the problem. One particular example they could use is, is one that I've developed and it might be helpful. It involves things like, what is the background? So what, what information do I need to know that's bringing this issue up? What's the question that's coming up? Who are the stakeholders and what values do they hold? What options are available to us to help resolve this issue? What moment of reflection have I taken to ensure that I'm not being blindsided or I have biases that are making me choose one option or another. And then last, what recommendation can I make um, and why would I choose that that's consistent with the organization that I work for? I think you should make sure that you're spending some time thinking through each step to ensure that you have some type of consistent process. That way you're prepared when these things come. You may not be able to resolve every case, but at least you're preparing yourself when they appear out of nowhere or appear every day, to be honest, for every nurse that's working in healthcare these days. So in summary, here's what I think we can leave the community with. One, make sure they're accessing the ethics resources in their organization. Two, sure that they're not allowing moral distress to go unresolved. And three, make sure that they have developed an ethical framework. I think with these three small steps, the audience will go a long way. Wow, that's, that's just such great information. And I know you just skim the top of all the issues that create moral distress within um, those first responders as well as those leaders when providing care. Uh, all this information is so beneficial to us as nurses and as perioperative nurses. And today I want to thank you so much for your time and your knowledge regarding ethics uh, for perioperative nursing, Jason. Thank you, Angie, and, and thank you to the audience. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues, and we hope that you'll join us next time for Periop Talk.